We've written a book! We've been working really hard with HarperCollins to create the book that we felt was missing from baby sleep advice. One that doesn't say you have to be a particular type of parent or will make you feel shit about yourself if you're not. One that is straightforward and will empower you to get the sleep you want for your family. Sleep Better Baby is zero judgment, obviously, stacked with easy to follow guidelines, a sleep toolkit to arm yourself with, at a glance crib notes, routines and how to hack them. Basically, it's the only baby and parent sleep book worth having. Order Sleep Better Baby now, just head to Amazon and search Sleep Better Baby or go to our website, thesleepmums.co.uk. Hello, we've missed you. This is a brand new series of The Sleep Mums, the only podcast that's like wrapping yourself in a duvet and taking a big whiff of lavender. I'm Kat Cuby, broadcaster, author and big dreamer, and this is Sarah Carpenter, baby and child sleep expert and fully-fledged member of the Wide Awake Club. Not always. Definitely not today. <laughs> How come? A couple of rough nights at home. Oh, Feeling it from a parent's a point of view. <laughs> We've had, not to be not to be that person, but we've actually had three quite good nights. But yesterday we felt terrible, and today I feel better. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. I was like, I think it is that three days, three nights you need to recover from Definitely. a bad patch of sleep, like the sleep mom's golden rule. Absolutely, road. three to five nights. <laughs> you are a bit sleepy today. I am definitely, but don't worry, I'll be able to let out the bag. Together we are the sleep mums. We talk a lot about empowering you on the podcast, but we promise it's not all talk. It's so important to us that you feel more confident approaching baby sleep after listening. One of the best ways that we can do that, apart from telling you you're brilliant and you totally know what you're doing, is to give you the tools to support you. And that's what this podcast is all about. It really is important. Like I cannot emphasise how often I speak to clients about you know the confidence and really what the feedback that I get from people when I'm going into houses is that when they've listened to Kat and I they do get that confidence and it's so lovely oh I know it's nice isn't it (laughs) you're because I think you're tired (laughs) you're being really like I don't know heartfelt (laughs) (laughs) don't normally just come across like a cow (laughs) I just just you almost have me in tears (laughs) First, can I tell you about something that I couldn't have done without when my one-year-old was born? The amazing Yoto player. What's more, Yoto is sponsoring this series of The Sleep Mums and we couldn't be more proud. Yoto is a screen-free audio platform that from age three puts kids in control of their listening, learning and play. They have a brilliant library of thousands of stories, music, podcasts and activities as well as physical cards without the use of a microphone, camera or ads. It's a really good long-term buy from birth for parents to use and it's fantastic for older kids too. They have a huge range of sleep sounds. I mean, I originally bought mine as a white noise machine for my baby There are loads of different sleep sounds if white noise isn't yours or your baby's thing or yours, Sarah. You can turn the volume up or down remotely and it's got 12 hours battery life. I could go on and on like the Yoto does, but I won't just now. All I'll say is that Yoto players are magic. It totally is. I love mine. And funnily enough, having just packed my toolkit for work, the top thing in it is the Yoto. Amazing. (laughs) Go to yotoplay.com to find out more. 
We are your biggest sleep supporters when it comes to helping your baby to sleep better. However, as they say, it takes a village. So as well as us, we'd like to introduce you to your baby sleep toolkit. Firstly, watching your baby all of the time is lovely, but also impossible, no matter how much you might want to. I mean, they are damn cute. But an important part of keeping them safe is ensuring that their parents, like you, are getting some sleep. So you're going to have to close your eyes at some point. I'm sorry, but you are, Sarah, that includes you too. You're going to have to close your eyes at some point. So making a safe sleep environment is really important for baby, but it's also really important for you to rest easy. So Sarah, how can the sleep environment be part of a baby sleep toolkit? Like, how does that work? So the first thing to say is it's really important to go and check out the Lullaby Trust because that does cover a lot of the safe sleep environments and that gives you confidence through knowing the guidelines. Obviously, you can then adapt things to they your situation. They also are really up to date. So it's like, yeah. you know, sometimes you might read a blog post mm-hmm. or something and the, the guides guidelines have actually changed. So. Definitely. So it is well worth going and checking that out. Um, but then you have to think about everything that you actually need in that environment, right down to the position of the cot or the position of the Moses basket. Um, to look at the room first before you start to really think about the environment properly like you want to look at the space that you've got to work with like what sort of things so in a lot of cases you know you're really working your room around radiators windows and doors like they are the key things so you don't want to position a cot anywhere that's going to get a draft so you might have, like recently, a family that I went to, they just could not work out how the nursery was going to work. And we did end up putting the cot right in the middle of the room because it was literally the only place in the room that it wasn't going to get a draft. But that was the safest place and the best place environmentally. Environmentally, is that? Best place for the baby's Greta environment. Would be proud of you. <laughs> because, you, can, you know, a baby's not going to sleep well if they're getting blasted with either heat from a radiator or a draft from a window so do think outside the box a little bit when you're preparing your environment then of course you've got to think about all your covers your sleeping bags and things like that so again go down the safe guideline route you're not going to have loose covers on the bed or on the cot Um, you want to have age appropriate sleeping bags and swaddles that's really important because the bigger ones can obviously get tangled up if you're using it on a like, wee so you baby. Want, you want ones like that fit around the arms and, and the neck. And the neck. That's really important. Um, the biggest guideline as well is always play on your tummy, sleep on your back. So you're always putting baby down on their back. Obviously, as they get bigger and they learn how to roll, they will get themselves comfortable and they'll move into the position that they want. But you're still putting them to sleep on their back and it's up to them to move. If you go down the co-sleeping or close sleeping route, then you've got to think about temperature. You know, don't use, if you're in bed with baby, don't use duvets because obviously it's going to keep baby, get baby too hot and if they go under it. Um, yeah, no swaddling, um, no pillows so around them. what do you dress baby in in those circumstances? So keep it simple. Really think about the temperature of your bedroom. Often if the bedroom's getting hot, and you're then cool sleeping, then it could just be as simple as a nappy and vest or a nappy and sleep suit. Right. And so what about no um, you dress layers. yourself in? You get adult sleep suits. <laughs> I wish you'd that. Yeah. I guess onesies, but they don't come with feet. No. Socks. That's not the same. I think they need to be attached. Yeah. So there you go, something else that we can start. <laughs> the sleep mum's onesie with feet coming your way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, it's... 
personal preference as to how warm you want to be or how cold you want to be, but just make sure there's no loose clothes on you. Um, I think in my experience, a lot of people who are still breastfeeding obviously do get very hot and so they tend to sleep in very little. Um, and also it makes it easy then if baby is still feeding and they just want to latch on and off. I was going to say whap, whap it out, but, you know, latching on and off sounds a bit more decorous. <laughs> is, that, is that word? Um, Temperature is important even if you're not co-sleeping or close-sleeping. Very, very important. So the um, ideal temperature would be 16 to 20 degrees. Um, obviously, you know, you want it to be consistent. So don't have, you know, if, if there is a window open during the day to cool a room down, make sure that that window's closed at night. Can I ask a wee question about co-sleeping and close-sleeping? If you're close-sleeping, essentially what we mean when we're saying that we're talking about the kind of like sidecar cots or cots just in your room like just being in the same space as you not in the bed because there's been a bit of confusion over that because of americans call it bed bed sharing i think and we tend to call it Mm co-sleeping but then there's a bit of confusion over what that means but say if baby's not actually in your bed they are in one of these side beds Mm -hmm. does the same thing go like you, you, because you can swaddle them in those sidecar beds. Yeah, they've got their independent sleep, sleep space. space. So if they're in an independent sleep space that they can't get out of and you can't get into, essentially, yeah. then yes, you can. However, some of the brands meet the mattress, so the sidecar right, mattress okay. is in line with the bed yeah. mattress, which means that babies can then roll into the bigger bed. Yeah. So you would want to follow co-sleeping guidelines for those ones however the ones where the baby's mattress is lower than or just slightly lower or has a half cover coming up then that's their independent sleep space so they can be swaddled and things like that and from a temperature perspective goodness we both need to have a word with ourselves today from a temperature perspective so if again it's important about the room environment rather than the sleeping space as such so if they're in an independent sleep space then you they're obviously going to be dressed in more layers and it's the temperature of the room if you're if they're in bed co-sleeping with you and they are right up against you then you have to gauge that a little bit on your temperature as well the body your body heat is Mm -hmm. dramatically changing yeah this sort of the the small area around Mm -hmm. them okay Cool. I just wanted to clear that up. I think yeah. it's really confusing for people. I think it is now, definitely. Because I, I think we have all these different options of where baby is going mm-hmm. to sleep that get called slightly different names. And there are slightly different requirements, mm-hmm. which I definitely. guess brings us right back to starting, you know, check out Lullaby mm-hmm. Trust for the latest guidelines on, on what they recommend because yep. they are on it with definitely. safety mm-hmm. for sleep. Wind is usually caused by air that your little one has taken in during feeding, crying and yawning. If they don't get rid of it, it can become really painful and disruptive for them. As they get older and start to move around more, they're able to dispel their own wind. It's a gas. (laughs) But in the early days, they do need your help. So knowing how to wind them well before they go to sleep is probably one of the most important tools in your belt. So Sarah... Talk to me about wind. No fart gags, please. So, first of all, I am going to sort of contradict what you just said a little bit. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. It, it, That's it, why again, you listen. It, it's in the wording. So, um, I think you've said something about when 
they're tiny, which gives the impression... As they get older. Little one. Sorry, like, yeah, so your little one is taken in and as they get older. But much older. So I think a lot of people, again, this is just advice that's out there. A lot of people read these things I and feel hear schooled. them. Sorry. <laughs> but people think that as they get older is like three no, months. No, I agree. Because I agree they are older at three months. And actually, it's not old enough. So... Try, you know, I always say to everybody, and this is what I did myself, like, just use winding as they are much older as a cuddle. So you are still winding them. So they could be like nine, ten months, and you are actually effectively still winding them because you're giving them a cuddle and a pat before they go to bed. My 14-month-old, after his morning feed, pretty much always does a burp. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's pretty much always when I set him up afterwards and kind of, like, I kind of naturally give his back a wee... Rub, yeah, and it sort of makes it, uh-huh. it makes me laugh because I'm like I'm not actually winding him, but no. that's but your result. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you are helping, and for some babies, they really do need it until they are after one year old. So it's if not. You think a case about it, of, if you were to glug yeah. a drink in a sort of prone position, <laughs> definitely, then you'd probably need to have a burp. Too. Yeah, a hundred percent. So sorry, I wasn't nitpicking, but no I like just it keep, just keep winding basically because it just, is so important and babies are going to sleep better at any age as long as they don't have trap wind so it is majorly important um, but how do you do it so how do you do it this does differ slightly on age when they're tiny there's lots of different techniques that you can use um, I think we've got videos on our social pages that cover the them sleep all sleep mums we are on Instagram <laughs> Facebook TikTok and YouTube <laughs> are the winding videos on YouTube no, but they should be. <laughs> no. So you've obviously got your standard over the shoulder ones. Then you've got the ones where you're sitting baby on the knee. The key thing with any winding techniques is to make sure that the back's straight. Kat and I are now straightening our backs and <laughs> flashing. I realised how much I was <laughs> no, slouching. Totally. Um, so yeah, any winding techniques, make sure baby's got a nice straight back, your supporting head and it's going to be successful, but you need to keep going. So this is where it gets tricky at bedtime. You know, parents become quite anxious about winding and waking them up, but you want to do that. You know, it's more important to get the burps out than put them down with wind and then they're immediately going to wake back up. So it's a false economy to put them down asleep unburped. So yeah, burp, burp, burp. Because that burp's going to wake. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to burp then. (laughs) Um, you need to wind them before you put them down, after every feed, just wind and all during the feeds. time. Yeah, during feeds as well, you know, especially when you're breastfeeding. Another um, myth, I think we've covered it, haven't we, that yeah. breastfed babies don't need winded. That's rubbish, they do. So bottles, breastfed, whatever, every time they break off the bottle or boob, wind them, offer again wind them again you cannot wind a baby enough and if they're lying on their tummy playing nine times out of ten you do kind of interact with them a little bit by rubbing their back or you know playing the drums on their back and things like that so again you are just sort of naturally winding them at that point so it's a nice thing to do it's kind of like a cuddle it is it's lovely and i quite like swiss army knife parenting things (laughs) that sounds a bit old but what i mean is you're cuddling and winding them at the same time definitely you could possibly also make a cup of tea yeah Maybe not. No boiling liquids near babies, thank you. Um, but yeah, you can. It's a good thing to do because it's it's nice yeah. for you as well, and it's mm-hmm. good for them. And also, the, I think the sleep thing is so so important, as you say, because you know so often you are like, oh, but they're so beautifully mm-hmm. like got their eyes closed and ready to yeah. go down. And no, and no, yeah, okay, that's we got that. 
I feel quite strongly about winding. <laughs> you do. Anything else we need to know about winding that's good for the toolkit? I think, you know, keep going. That's the key thing, mm-hmm. really, isn't it? You know, even if you've had one good barp, always keep going for another few minutes before you stop. There might be another one in mm-hmm. there. Definitely. And it just helps relax them, too. We talk about burping, right? And winding as you're trying to get something out, um, like, out of their mouth. But, like... Obviously, I said about fart gags, but that's mm. wind too. Yeah, definitely. So if you feel like baby has got a bit of a gurgly tummy, don't just use your typical wind done by patting them up in the back, but you can lie them down and squish their legs, do the leg cycle cycles, squish their legs up and down and then stretch them out, massage Because the tummy. air bubble might be lower down lower the down, track, exactly. so it's not going to mm-hmm. come out yep. that way. I'm, so, I'm struggling to describe <laughs> that in words. <laughs> Comforters are an extension of you, a something else that gives your baby comfort. These can be anything and even if not initially chosen by you, they are reinforced by you. So you do have control over them. So what counts as a comforter, Sarah, and what do we need to know about them? So basically anything counts as a comforter. Whatever your baby decides is a comforter or whatever you decide is a comforter is a comforter. But it doesn't just have to be something that is touchable or you know marketed for a baby it literally could be anything and you know we've talked before about the boxer shorts and it does always come back to that but this is a client a a client of Sarah's whose kid chose his dad's Calvin's as a comforter (laughs) clean washed ones um but the point being um uh that it's totally fine yeah. to, to for it to be something. And actually something that belongs to you is kind of sweet. So like a, as long as it's breathable. Yes, exactly. You know? That's the main thing. As long as it's breathable and age appropriate. So obviously for an older toddler, a t-shirt of mum or dad's is absolutely fine. You would not give a baby a t-shirt in their cot. So. And essentially comforters really are sort of six uh, at over six months you need to keep the cot clear yeah. then over six months you can give them something in the cot you might have been holding something mm-hmm. whilst they've been having a feed before that point yeah. so they've they've kind of got, got accustomed to, to it and yeah. um, but that's another sort of safe sleep mm-hmm. thing but but dummies i guess are comforters Definitely. too which are obviously pre-six months um and uh, could white noise white noise is definitely a comforter you know anything that is aiding baby to relax and drift off to sleep is essentially a comforter so it can even be babies who hold like your finger and things like that that's your finger then becomes a comforter so many babies will pull it hair yeah that can be could be a comforter or even at their own ear that's another one so their ear and or thumb or tongue and actually that comes back to the whole thing about us uh reinforcing it and as long as you're happy with it, like mm-hmm. it sounds really lovely and gorgeous for your finger to be their comforter, but uh, you know it's not that practical for that to be a twelve hour a night it's thing. Not. And it's forever. Also, yeah, that's the thing. It's like yes, it might be lovely when you're in that newborn bubble and you are just spending time with your baby. Fast forward a few months' time, and you need to go to the toilet or want to go out or have a bath or whatever, and all that they'll settle with is your finger. Yeah, it doesn't work. I mean, like I would say, both the boys liked a, a sort of a hand on their chest mm-hmm. as a kind of comforter when they were really little. Um, yeah. But that didn't like they didn't need it forever. It no. was just a, a you know whilst they were yeah. small, and, then... and that's also something that you're physically doing when they're wee, rather yeah. than them holding you. Yeah, it's the ones where the baby mm-hmm. actually has that grip on you 
that they are more in control of. I feel like, like I'm feeling definitely a bit emotional today. I'm like, <laughs> I want that. <laughs> I want a baby on my finger. <laughs> and actually, it's probably quite important to talk about what white noise actually is because white noise comes into our baby sleep toolkit so white noise is a blend of all audible sound frequencies it kind of produces that shh sound similar to what your baby heard in the womb and you may occasionally use on your partner like shh I do not need to hear about what your mate's brother did on their stag Um, by balancing out all the other sounds it allows babies and adults to switch off and get to sleep so what else do we need to know about white noise? I think the most important thing is the volume. People definitely tend to lower the volume um, and really the ideal volume for white noise is similar to the sound a shower would make when it's running or that sort of volume. It's louder than you so think. So it's always louder than you think. And the other thing is that even if you use it now for your babies, they're not going to go to university or college using white noise. I think that's a real worry for people that... But and if they do, then yeah. it's totally fine. Because, like, white uh-huh. noise is good for adults, too. Yeah. And, like, so there isn't, like, a cut-off stage. You no. know, it's not like, well, I mean, you know, different people have different feelings about, say, dummies or whatever. But it's not like mm-hmm. you're going to be like, oh, right, you've reached this stage. You shouldn't be having white noise yeah. now. It, it's fine if mm-hmm. you've got a five-year-old or a ten-year-old totally, that listens totally. to white noise. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fine. And it, it doesn't always exist as white noise. That's the thing. It can change as babies and children yeah. grow you know, I think what's Indy listening to just now, or is she, has she gone back to white noise? Because she uh, had a she, wee change, didn't she? She did. She was listening to, like, waves mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was like, well, it was the, it was the camping on the Yodel, which <laughs> yeah. is like, I'm uh, like, um, it's like sort of birds. Yeah. Like, it's like a it's it's nature, na- nature yeah, science, uh-huh. which I guess is more like pink noise yes. uh-huh. than... Um, but it doesn't, even if you start with straight up white noise, it doesn't necessarily stay as white noise and that's completely fine to yeah. change. I mean, Emily's favourite is the Yoto fun radio. So she has all sorts going on and that's yeah. what she finds comfort in to settle Which to. is crazy. I mean, she totally definitely takes crazy. after you. <laughs> no, because she sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> For now. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> but yeah, so like just... To, um, so pink noise, a bit like white noise, but tends to be more natural sounds, mm-hmm. like like um, sort of nature sounds, um, a train rumbling along, um, and brown noise again. Uh, these are just about slightly different sound yeah. frequencies. So brown noise has l- less high frequencies, um, so can be a bit gentler on on little ones ears just in case you're looking for something yeah. different because some people some parents don't actually like mm-hmm. listening to to white noise oh totally i mean i must admit that i cannot stand white noise now after years and years of hearing it i really am not a fan so i would always tend to go for something a little bit different just i like my it. i actually benefit. genuinely think yeah. i sleep better if i've got it on it just feels a bit weird like when whenever was in the room with me i obviously had it on and now he's not. I kind of, I, mm. I think I probably did have a deeper sleep. Actually. Yeah. I'm just thinking that out loud. Yeah, there. I think most parents do. Like, I, I mean, I, I know from clients that, that you when probably just feel moves, like you're working. Yeah, I, so it's a different. Uh, yeah, thing. it's a different association for me. Whereas when um, babies move out of the room, nine times out of ten, parents will keep the white noiser give baby one form of white noise and then they'll start using a different form of white noise just so that they've still got it because they've got so used to it. And I think as well at that stage there's an element of 
they miss the baby, so it's it's still a yeah. bit of a link to the baby if they're listening to White yeah. Noise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it feels kind of appropriate, given that we're talking about White Noise, to talk about Yoto Player, mm. who are sponsoring this series of The Sleep Mums. I found it kind of early on after Ever was born. I said I absolutely loved it. And I actually passed it on to you Sarah. Did, I know. A sleep tool that you gave me. Um, but yeah, it is fantastic because it does cover so many different areas. Um, and it also is, um, or it appears to be non-breakable. The amount of times that I have dropped mine and it's just fantastic. It bounces back. So I love that about it. Um, and it, yeah, I... As I said earlier, you know, when I'm packing for work, it is the first thing that goes in my bag. So I take it everywhere. And all your clients have been getting them as well. Oh, 100%. As soon as they see it, and I suppose it's great that they're getting that first night with it when I'm there. So then they, they really do see how good it is. But, you know, it's brilliant because we can sit out of the baby's room and adjust it, which again gives clients a lot of confidence, gives parents a lot of confidence because then they are still in control of that noise. So if they are worried about using it for an extended period of time, they don't need to necessarily be going back into the room to change it. You can just use your app to change it all. Which and also, we, I mean, literally for years, we've been like wanting a, a something that yeah. did that so that you that can be your first step for settling mm-hmm. like exactly. just slightly turning up the white noise because mm-hmm. it's amazing it has amazed me having not had it with the other two how often that has worked forever oh, to definitely. settle and just mm-hmm. just turning just turn him up. up a wee bit yeah. um uh, and like really super quickly as mm-hmm. well yeah, no, it does. It, that is always, I think we talk about it in the book and on a lot of the podcasts, the first point of settling would be just to change the volume on the white noise. So, so yeah, you have got it covered. Boom. <laughs> settling techniques are perhaps one of the most important tools you can have in your parenting back pocket. Well, settling techniques and rice cakes probably uh sarah let's talk about different settling techniques and the one we get asked about a lot obviously is a sleep mum bum sugar because apparently sugar is a scottish word which we didn't know no, we until didn't we know, started I doing know. this podcast so yeah again like settling techniques there's not these are your five settling techniques you know settling techniques can really be anything a bit like comforters yeah exactly. you're choosing it uh-huh. and it's about what you yeah. want to do to yes some- to okay. some extent, however, <laughs> with settling techniques, you're a me today. More about what the baby likes. So, yeah, okay. you know, we do talk about the shush mum sugar. No, we don't. We talk about the sleep mum sugar, which is great and is generally the one that I tend to go to first. But some babies just don't like it. You know, some babies gen- genuinely do just like a sort of calmer, stiller settle. So it would just be like you were saying earlier, the hand on the chest or a hand somewhere on the body. Some babies, it's a little foot rub. So, you know, it literally can be anything. And it it's can like also, a reassurance it is, that takes their mind mm-hmm, off whatever is totally. bothering them and encourages them to think about sleep again. Exactly. Calms them down and helps them to drift off. So that's why a lot of the times the, sort of, the more... Um, sugar type settling works because it just gives babies that little rocking motion i am now sitting rocking at the microphone so it gives them just that little bit of movement when they're in their um, sleep environment which helps them just to nod off again do you think because because it is a bit yeah it's because it's a slightly bigger movement than maybe like 
a sort of gentle pat or something yeah, like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like a gentle pat is sometimes too gentle because yeah because we think of it as an adult as like a sleepy thing like how would mm -hmm. we feel yeah if we were getting patted when we went to sleep and we're like oh we'd like something very like Uh almost not bothering us at all but actually the reason that you're doing it is to like remind the baby that you're there so you don't want it to be too Mm -hmm. too soft Uh, absolutely yeah a soft touch when they're already calm and starting to drift off again is fine so uh, similar to the white noise you know start big and work your way back down i've realized we've kind of leapt into this so we're talking about settling techniques when they are in their sleep space Uh rather than lifting them so that's obviously you you know so that's um that's different what would you? What sort of settling techniques would you do in those circumstances if you picked your baby up? So if you pick your baby up, they're not dissimilar because if you think about when you do pick your baby up, and this kind of goes back to the wind in as well, yeah. you automatically generally tend to rub pat. their back or pat them. Yeah. So it's that, or or do a slight or rock sway which yourself, is a, yeah, exactly. which is essentially a um, So if you think about the things that you naturally do when you lift your baby, that's what you can do when you've lifted them. But you can also just do exactly that when they're in the cot as well. I'll often say to clients, you know, when you're walking around, if they say to me, we can't settle them in the cot, I'll say, well, what are you doing when you're walking around? That's the first thing that you should try when you put them into the cot. That's such a good point. And if you manage to settle them walking around and then put them down, Presumably, that's the same thing. You you can use whatever yeah. the kind of vibe Definitely. you were so doing. Continue out of it. The uh-huh. yeah. yeah, just continue it to get them into that sort of deeper state of sleep when you first put them in. So if that was patting their bum, mm-hmm. you know, and and just you, continue. And that. if they're smaller and you want them to be going on the back, you can just lift up their legs. To, yeah. to do that mm-hmm. you don't don't need to stress about putting them no. down on their tummy and definitely then... not no just lift their legs and use your other hand just to pat the bottom um or roll them onto the side and do it and then roll them back onto their back once they once they're, once they're calm mm-hmm. um any other settling techniques that we should talk about i mean there are so many <sighs> so it kind of it's hard it is hard to cover them all but i think it's important as well to let baby use themselves to settle too whether that is that they just need a bit of a babble or if they found their thumb or pulling on their ear or things like that, like don't deter these things. Again, a lot of people when they see babies rub their head left to right in the cot, they think that they're becoming agitated uh-huh. and upset, but actually that's them using the cot mattress. I mean, sometimes to they up. hit their heads, mm-hmm. like which yeah. looks insane it looks as, a, as a, an adult, but mm-hmm. they are trying to settle themselves Mm -hmm. it's again it generally that's when they can get onto all fours and they sort of rock backwards and forwards and they get a little bit of comfort out just bouncing back off the bars so yeah it doesn't look or sound great but they're not hurting themselves they're not upset they're just that um, was my ice machine if that (laughs) came up and which i know sounds very fancy Uh, yeah, so it's more the rocking motion that's calming them at that stage and then they move down into the lying down position on their tummies. Um, and I was going to say something else, but the ice has thrown me off. <laughs> we we obviously talk a lot about trying to, you know, try and understand your baby's noises mm-hmm. and that goes from, you know, the grumbling they make to their cries, like what are they trying to tell you because we feel like that's about having a responsive relationship, mm-hmm. communication with your, your baby. And one one of the things that really helped me actually, and it was obviously it was you, definitely you, always you, um, is that you whenever was really well, not really little when he was sort of getting to this sort of stage, probably kind of I guess about six months or so, like when I put him down, he would make these kind of noises, 
that that weren't distressed but it is that way that you you automatically as a parent even like now knowing all the things I know feel like oh my goodness I need to pick him up immediately and you said he's singing and a hundred percent is what like now he's bigger that is exactly what mm-hmm. he's doing and it's it's getting more tuneful I guess <laughs> as he gets bigger but he loves a wee sing mm-hmm. when when he gets put down yeah and it also makes me feel better about it too I suppose because I'm like oh, okay singing's fine like <laughs> but it's the similar I mean of course it's like it's not that he's going ah no. <laughs> but it is like ah <laughs> okay I'm not sure if that came across in the podcast but, but it is it's it is really important to listen so that you because every sound that your baby makes when they first go into their bed can feel quite upsetting because you're leaving them so it's actually yeah. not the sound it's just the fact that you're about yeah. to walk away and leave them yeah. which doesn't come naturally to us so actually if you listen and also if you listen to them when they play quite often you'll yeah. then hear the same sounds when they go into their cot and that's comforting as well well weirdly his laugh sounds a bit distressed <laughs> like sometimes like the kids will be playing like tickling uh-huh. him and i i'm like is something wrong and i'm like oh no no he's just laughing <laughs> I haven't heard that yet. No, it's, it's, it's wild. <laughs> we love a plan. Tiredness tends to make you more impulsive and very few good ideas come in the middle of the night, which is clear from my 3am purchasing history. If you're going to be making any changes to sleep routines or setups, it's a good idea to have a plan. But Sarah, where do you start with making a plan? You 100% start with making a plan over a drink of either tea, coffee (laughs) or alcohol. I was definitely not (laughs) expecting you to say that. I think so many people suddenly at 3am decide that they are going to make a plan and it's the wrong time. You know, you're not going to come up with an idea at that time that's going to stick. So make a plan when everything's calm and you've actually got time to really think about it and be prepared to take bits of each other's ideas because if you go in... And think this is what I'm going to do. So Nine this is like a plan encompassing the whole family. Well, I say the whole family, but you're anyone involved. Your yeah, uh-huh. anyone who's going to one. be involved with the care or the settling needs to be part of the plan. And you have to consider things like how tall is each parent. You know, you can't say, okay, you know, you're six foot two and you can settle this way, but the partners four foot five and can't settle in the same way either because of the weight of the baby or the height of the cot and things like that so it's really really it's okay to have different settling techniques isn't it it is when you get further down the track but initially if you're really making a change and you're starting from scratch as a sort of sleep training tool then you do want to be doing the same things (laughs) don't mention the sleep training word (laughs) Sleep changing, sleep changing tool. You want to be doing the same things. And of course that can veer off and adapt as baby becomes comfortable in the routine. But initially for those three to five nights, you really do want to be doing the same right, things. Okay. So it's short term until everything's established. Could one person not do it? Just do it then though if like the other person can't? No, because that puts all that pressure on <laughs> one parent cat. <laughs> for that time try as much yeah but there are always things that you can adapt it's more just about the fact that you know you don't want something that alienates one yeah partner okay. or parents so just think about the bigger Sorry, picture. i feel like you've like <laughs> you've been giving me a hard time and i've given you a <laughs> no. hard time in this one um but um so that's obviously about sort of set we're talking about settling mm-hmm. techniques but what does the plan actually look like are you literally going right on one day one we do this day two we do that 
It's not as clean cut as that, no. You, it, uh, it's not so much that you'll change what you're doing, it's that baby changes how they're responding. So as things get more settled and baby responds to the settling techniques but or the changes in plan, like. that's why you can't say it's going to happen right, tomorrow. Okay. That, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like you might actually end up doing day one of the plan for three or four days. While so do you need a new plan every day? You need changeable things within your overall plan. So the way that I would do it, if I was speaking yeah. to somebody, would be to say, okay, what are the issues that you want to solve okay should we do an example then like okay so um so the clients that i was with last week they had a six-month-old who was up multiple times at night both parents were using very very different techniques throughout the night to try and settle um one parent was feeding the other parent was lifting and shuggling and walking around so the first thing that we addressed was what they wanted to deal with first so it's not a case of saying okay I want 12 hours sleep yeah you have to work with your expectations and they have to be realistic expectations and I know it's one of your favorite things but just lower them. <laughs> lowering your expectations is important so in that case it wasn't ever going to be let's sleep for 12 hours it was going to be okay so what's the longest stretch you've had now up to this point let's make that consistent so that was the first point okay so then you cover once you've kind of written down your issues and written down your expectations so it is sort of like a business plan like ideal like like headline sleep for four hours or Uh sleep for five hours it's really really important to write it down because if you don't you can guarantee that the following night in the middle of the night you're going to stumble again because you've not actually got a clear plan yeah. you know what seems clear when you're sitting during the day totally. batting ideas at 3am is not clear yeah. anymore whereas no. if it's written down you can refer back to it and just say okay this is no, why like, I'm doing this any changes around sleep are raw and emotional mm-hmm. like because even when they, you know you want to go the direction to go in it's really hard to it make is. changes definitely so once you've kind of addressed that then your actual plan consists of agreeing on the settling techniques that you're going to use and agreeing how long you're going to use them that is really really important and time everything that you do when you're in that room with the baby time it all make sure that you know that you can tag team in and out so even discuss that and that might look like you know for some families it can be that the tag team happens during the night so one parent would take the first half of the night and one parent would take the second half of the night Others, it will be during each settle. So one parent might do 10 minutes of settling, the other parent might do the next 10 minutes. So again, that has to be discussed and make sure it works for you. And then you have a moving forward plan. So that's when you're looking at what's going to happen next. But that don't ever write down day one, day two. You want to have, this is what we're doing first. Once we've achieved this, this is what we're doing next. So it removes that urgency and stress of saying we're going to achieve this in a night yeah because the likelihood is you're not going to achieve it in a night so that's a plan about when you're making changes but do you need kind of like a wider plan just like talk or is it more like for a sleep tool belt you sleep toolkit you need to be comfortable in making a plan yeah I think with everything you know does come down a lot to your parenting style and it's having the ability to be flexible as well so you can have an overall plan and for some people that might look as simple as baby's going to be in the same room as us for eight months because that's yeah 
the situation with our setup. Yeah. For others, it could be our setup doesn't allow for a baby to be in at all. You know, there's different things that you can have a loose plan. I around. feel like quite often my plan, like I have a plan in my head mm-hmm. that I don't let other people in on so much. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> Or even when you realise that it's not the best plan, you still go with it. Uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> so it's really important to tell people your plan <laughs> and be open to suggestions. <laughs> what if I think, you don't want to? <laughs> I think that is really important, though, because for so many of us as mums, we can get quite stubborn. Well, if and you're the main carer, you sort of feel like, well, this is my thing, maybe? Yeah. But that really does... Um, yeah, it's not yeah, good for anyone. No, not, I know. It, no. it does exclude people from the situation when you actually you need that support. Yeah. So, And again, I think having that discussion when you're not trying to implement it makes a big yeah. difference. Because you can say that then in a non-confrontational environment. I you think you're really say, talking about being an adult. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> so when I feel like this week I've said many times I don't want to adult anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Enough adulting, but do make a plan. (laughs) If you're a parent of a small child or baby, it's likely that you've heard they don't come with a manual more than once. But the reason there's no manual is because there's no one right way. You can feel unprepared though. So you do feel like you need some kind of guidance in place of a manual. And that's why we thought having a kind of baby sleep toolkit was a good place to start. Do you not think you should say babies don't come with a manual apart from or something like that? Sorry, I should maybe have bite down a full. Sarah would like me to say that the closest thing to a manual is our book, Sleep Better Baby. And it's available in all good bookstores, online and in real life. Sleep Better Baby, not a manual, but a good book. <laughs> The other thing that's important to include in your toolkit are the things that you need to look after you. We can't tell you what those are because we're not you and they will be different for everybody. Like for Sarah, it was the space to do the hoovering. (laughs) For me, it's having a bath as often as humanly possible. It's totally my safe space. And it's really easy to put yourself last in those things, whether it's doing the hoovering or having a bath when you become a parent. But looking after yourself is the most important thing you can do for your baby. As ever, we hope this helped. You can find loads more sleep support right here on our podcast. There's over 60 for you to listen to. And you can find us online. We're at thesleepmums.co.uk and on socials, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube as The Sleep Mums. We'd like to thank Yoto for sponsoring this podcast. Look after yourselves and sleep soon. Don't forget, you can order our brand new book, Sleep Better Baby, the only baby sleep book worth having, full of routines to fit your family and practical advice that will help you and your baby sleep better. Search Sleep Better Baby on Amazon or head to our website, thesleepmums.co.uk.